Let's turn together this evening to Luke chapter 3, in the gospel according to Luke. Chapter 3, we'll read the first 20 verses of this chapter. Our text this evening is verses 19 and 20. Luke 3, beginning at verse 1, now in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of Iturea, and of the region of Trachonitis, and Lysanias, the tetrarch of Abilene. Annas and Caiaphas being the high priests, and the word of God came unto John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. And he came into all the country about Jordan, preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be brought low. And the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough ways shall be made smooth. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Then said he to the multitude that came forth to be baptized of him, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth therefore fruits worthy of repentance, and begin not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Every tree therefore which bringeth not fruit, bringeth not forth good fruit, is hewn down and cast into the fire. And the people asked him, saying, What shall we do then? He answereth and saith unto them, He that hath two coats, let him impart to him one that hath none. And he that hath meat, let him do likewise. Then came also publicans to be baptized, and said unto him, Master, what shall we do? And he said unto them, Exact no more than that which is appointed you. And the soldiers likewise demanded of him, saying, And what shall we do? And he said unto them, Do violence to no man, neither accuse any falsely and be content with your wages. And as the people were in expectation, and all men mused in their hearts of John, whether he were the Christ or not, John answered, saying unto them all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I cometh, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to unloose. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor, and will gather the wheat into his garner, but the chaff he will burn with fire unquenchable. And many other things in his exhortation preached he unto the people. But Herod the Tetrarch, being reproved by him for Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, and for all the evils which Herod had done, added yet this above all, that he shut up John in prison. To that point, we read the holy and inspired word of God. Our text tonight is verses 19 
and 20, but Herod the Tetrarch, being reproved by him for Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, and for all the evils which Herod had done, added yet this above all, that he shut up John in prison. Beloved of God, there is a John in our text, and that John is John the Baptist. John the Baptist was a prophet of God. In fact, he was the last Old Testament prophet of the church. Jesus calls him in Matthew 11 the greatest of the Old Testament prophets. John was the greatest because his was the privilege to point out the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, as John said, who takes away the sin of the world. And because John's calling was to be the forerunner of that Christ. John's task was to preach the word of repentance, to prepare the people spiritually for the coming of Christ. This is a Christ who saves from sin. The people must see their sins and be driven by that sight to this Christ, needing him to deliver them. Verse 2 of our text summarizes John's work. And he came into all the country about Jordan, preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. There's not only a John in our text, but there is a Herod in our text. The Herod of our text is Herod Antipas. He has been set up as king over a portion of Palestine by the Roman Empire. Our text calls him a tetrarch, Herod the Tetrarch. The Tetrarch rules over one portion out of four of any region, and Herod Antipas ruled specifically over the portion of Palestine that included Galilee in the north and Perea on the east side of the Jordan River. That's significant because John the Baptist did his work preaching and baptizing in the Jordan River. Herod Antipas's region of control, therefore, was in part the region where John the Baptist was doing his work. Herod's ancestry was Jewish. He was, you might say, broadly speaking, part of the sphere of the covenant. The history books on him tell us that like most Jewish boys, he was trained in the Old Testament scriptures up until age 13. And then after that, he was sent to Rome to finish his education. But even then, a Jewish man was sent along with him so that that man could weed out all of the bad things he would hear from his Roman teachers. When Herod came back from Rome and was set up as king in Palestine, he feigned a continuation of his religious commitment and kind of left the impression that he still believed all the things that he was taught in his youth up, although he really did not. As part of that, he went to hear John the Baptist preach. 
In fact, Mark 6, verse 20 indicates that he would go to hear John the Baptist preach regularly. Mark 6, verse 20, For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a just man and a holy, and observed him. That is, Herod observed what he had to say. And when he heard him, he did many things and heard him gladly. He was intrigued by the preaching of John the Baptist. And he would go listen to this man who preached in his region on a regular basis. However, in our text for this evening, that preaching of John the Baptist sets its sights directly upon Herod Antipas. So that, in our text, the John and the Herod collide. And in the collision of John and Herod, we see a vivid description of the collision between the Word of God and human nature. John, the prophet of God, has the Word of God coming forth out of his mouth especially now the word of reproof. Herod represents any hearer of that word of God by nature, hearing that word that exposes one's sins, that touches upon one's sin personally. Herod the Tetrarch being reproved of John. There is a collision as this word comes to him personally, confronting him with his sins as we observe this collision between the Word of God and human nature in John and Herod, there is a warning for you and for me tonight. Whether a hypocrite in the sphere of the covenant, may God graciously forbid that. Or a true member of the covenant of grace, there is an old man within us a nature within us that wants us to respond to that word in one way to shut that word up. That's the theme of the sermon tonight, shutting up the word. Notice first John's reproof, second Herod's response, And third, our application of this to ourselves. Shutting up the word, John's reproof, Herod's response, and the application to ourselves. Our text tells us that John, in carrying out his ministry in Palestine, reproved Herod Antipas for Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. Herod Antipas had a brother whose name was Philip. And Philip had a wife whose name was Herodias. History books tell us that it was on the occasion of a visit from Herod Antipas to brother Philip that Herodias took a shining to Herod. Herodias was one of those women who was always looking to advance in power and position in society. And since Herod Antipas was the more powerful brother, she took a liking to him and used some of her femininity to get to him, although surely he was willing. After that meeting, history books tell us that Herod and Herodias agreed to divorce their current spouses and to get married to each other. As you can imagine, 
something like that was not done in secret. If John the Baptist knew about it, you knew everybody knew about it. The minister is generally the last to hear things like this. But John knew about it, it was public, and it was sin. The sin of Herod and Herodias, particularly, was the sin of unbiblical divorce and remarriage. Notice that the text, somewhat just in passing, calls Herodias Philip's wife. Though divorces have occurred, and likely everybody else is now calling Herodias Herod's wife, John refuses to do that. This is not Herod's wife. This is Philip's wife. This points out what John thought sinful about what Herod had done. Herod was with a married woman. Though there has been divorces, apparently, to John the Baptist, he doesn't believe that those divorces broke the bond of marriage. This is sin. This is Philip's wife, Herod, and this is what he told Herod. The text is recording what he spoke to Herod, how he reproved Herod. He reproved him for Herodias, his brother, Philip's wife. This is what he said to Herod. You're with your brother, Philip's wife, Herod. Apparently, there are also other public sins in the life of Herod that John was aware of. The text says that John not only reproved Herod for Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, but also for all the evils which Herod had done, all the evil, morally wicked things that Herod did, public things that John knew about and thus could speak to and speak to he did. John reproved Herod for these things. The word means to reprimand, to severely chasten, to admonish. John is a prophet of God, is the mouthpiece of the word of God, also the law of God. God demands that lives be lived in obedience to him and his holy law. And though, of course, this is a time of transition between Old Testament and New Testament, and there's not churches in Israel like there are now, and church membership isn't the same exactly. Nonetheless, Herod is part of what you might call the broader church world to John. And John knows it's the calling of the man of God. To call out the evils that are being done in the church world around him. All of them. John reproved all the evils which Herod had done. Notice three things about that reproving word of John the Baptist. First of all, notice that it was a specific reproving word. It didn't only talk about sin generally, although I'm sure John preached about sin generally, but it talked about specific sins. And it talked about this specific sin of unbiblical divorce and remarriage. In fact, you could almost say that John gave up his life for the sake of upholding the biblical truth of marriage. That's instructive for us. You have to be willing to call it what it is. 
with sin. John could have said, just as well in his culture as in ours, well, it's just culturally, culturally acceptable, so what are you going to say about it? It is what it is, but filled with love for the righteousness of God and the law of God. He said, it's sin, it's sin. Second, the work of John the Baptist found in him a willingness to say this to the king, even the king, would that ministers who had the ear of presidents and of senators would have such conviction. And remember that this is not a king who's far away from John the Baptist, that he could preach about this, but be pretty sure that the king will never hear it, he'll never get back to him, but the king has been in his audience. And he's saying this to the king now. Remember what we said in the introduction that Herod came to hear John preach on a regular basis. It would have been very tempting for John the Baptist, wouldn't it? For him to think, well, the king is coming to hear me preach. That's quite something. I've gotten the ear of the king. I have an important man here sitting in my audience. I better not blow this now. I better not offend him. If I could keep him coming to hear me preach, imagine all the other people what that will come to hear me preach. If they find out the king has come, there'll be a whole crowd who comes in the king's wake. I better not step on the king's toes, blow this, or he's going to leave. So too, there is an increasing temptation for any minister or any church to tone down the standard of God's law. When there is some recognition of the word or when someone of higher standing is taking notice or someone popular even in the congregation is lauding the word or someone who gives lots of money to the church. Temptation comes to not step on the toes. They're paying for the salary. They're paying for the church building after all. But John was faithful. He reproved even the king for his sins. He preached without fear or favor. Third, that preaching of John the Baptist is an example not only to the minister of the word, but to some extent all of us in the congregation. We're not all preachers, of course, and there's something unique about the office of the minister of the word and something unique about the pulpit and the responsibility of the pulpit, to be sure. And yet, there is some responsibility on all of our part to call sin what it is. And when is that the hardest for us? It's the hardest for us when we see it in those who are closest to us. Family, friends, children, relatives. What a temptation it is to be a father like Eli and to not call out the sins of his children, especially as they are getting older. Not call it what it is. It's sin, my sons. It's sin. 
for the temptation with relatives because we want to keep peace in the family and Chris, Christmas is coming after all. And the temptation to not say what it is. It's sin. I know, of course, there's a, there's a right way and there's a wrong way to do that. And I'm not advocating a wrong way to do that where you're up here on high and they're down below and you rain down your daggers and your arrows upon them as some high and lofty throne that you are upon. But with humility. A humility that's genuine, that's not fake or feigned, but real. That understands your own sins and your own neediness for Christ. And with love, and not love that's fake or feigned, but real. It's not just a word, but a, a real concern and care for the other. But to speak for the honor of God and of his word and of righteousness. The word of God addresses Sin. But what about when that word of God addresses sin in you? And in me? When it comes as a word of reproof, to reprove you for your sins, or me for mine. When that word steps on your toes or on my toes, when it pierces your conscience or mine, especially in the proclamation of that word of God on the Lord's day, when the word is proclaimed, the voice of the king says this, I am messenger merely. This is not the word of a, of a minister. This is the word of God himself. This is his law, his righteous standard. And that word comes to us and it meets us where we are and it has something to say to us. No, what you're doing is not right. Or children, when parents rebuke you for your sins and call those sins to your attention. What about it then? Or all of us when a friend or a family member calls us to see a wrong pathway that we have been upon. Or a committee of elders has to come and make their visit to us and to bring a word of reproof, good shepherds as they are in humility and love and care, but to say, this is not the right way not the right way. This is God's word. Turn, turn. What then? Or when a spouse says to a spouse, humbly recognizing their own sins, my husband or my wife, this is a pattern that I see in you. And of love for you, I can't but say it. Expose it to you. Call it what it is. Sin. I have my sins too. Help me. But in this, I want to help you. Or what about, beloved, when maybe not even through anybody else, but God, God's word comes to you in your own devotional life, reading of scripture, studying of the word of God, or even, not even through that, maybe even simply in your own conscience as that word comes to you and pierces your conscience as you know what you're doing is wrong. What then? 
What about it, beloved, when the, when the spotlight comes upon you and the heat of that light and it feels like you're the only one and everybody's staring at you and you're naked and exposed before the one with whom we have to do? What then, what do you do? But Herod, being reproved of John for Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, and for all the evils that he had done, added this above all, that he shut up John in prison. This Herod, who had been intrigued by the preaching of John the Baptist, who had some interest in it, who wanted to hear it, who had been coming more often, and who had heard him gladly, as soon as that word points itself to Herod, has something to say about Herod's own sin, Herod's response is a complete 180. He shuts it down. He puts it under lock and key. This voice that is calling to me and telling me that I am sinning, that's convicting me of my sin, I don't want to hear it. But it had something to say about his own life. When that truth was a threat to his own sins that he didn't want to give up, when it rubbed up against his own pride and his own standing. Well, then here come John the Baptist, men. And they're sent from Herod, John, and they're armed men, and they're coming to take you and to put you in prison. And make no mistake about what that was. Herod shut up John in prison because he wanted John to shut up. He wanted to stifle the word that John was bringing. He wanted to shut out the guilt that he was feeling in his own conscience. As John brought that word to him, he knew. Herod knew. He had been raised with the scriptures. He knew what he was doing is wrong. And he didn't want to hear about it. Neither did his wife, Herodias, or Philip's wife, rather. There's two parallel accounts of this story, one in Matthew and one in Mark. We read in Matthew's account that, that Herod actually wanted to kill John right then and there, but he held back for reasons that we'll talk about in just a moment. Herodias wanted John dead right then and there too. And we read in Matthew's account, that finally, in due time, she was able to get John. You know the story there, the history of how she got John's head on a charger with the use of Salome. What's interesting is that one of the early church fathers, Jerome, preaching in the 300s, when he preached a sermon on this text, said that he knew that in addition to what's recorded in Scripture, that when Salome brought John the Baptist's head to her mother on that silver platter, that Herodias took that head, put it on the table, and she spit on it repeatedly. And then she dug her fingers into his mouth, pulled out the tongue, and struck a knife through that tongue 
Whether that's true or not, I don't know. But it fits. I don't want your word, John the Baptist. I don't want to hear what you have to say. Who do you think you are now? Say such things to the king and to the queen. Can't speak now, can you, with your head off your shoulders and a knife through your tongue? This is what I think of the word you have to bring. And you and me. Humbled by it, broken by it, to an honest confession, dealing honestly with the situation, the sin for what it is. Or when that spotlight shines itself upon us. What's the response? Anger? I don't want it. Shut it up. Find some way to, with my voice and the power of my voice, get it to stop. Or maybe not anger. Maybe cold silence. Just shut down say nothing and ignore it and try to carry on. Or maybe focus on everybody else's problems and everybody else's sins and what this person did and that person did. And in this situation, you know, you've got to see this and you've got to see that in order to deflect from facing the full brunt of what one has done and the realization of one's own sin. or defensiveness, and all kinds of excuses. But of course, there's this to consider, and there's that to consider, and there's this to consider, and by the end of it, I really haven't done anything wrong, have I? It's all understandable in the end. This is all shutting up the word in prison, taking the word of reproof, and putting it under lock and key. It's in us, isn't it? Same nature. For one who is unregenerate in the sphere of the covenant, as Herod was, that's all it is in response to that word of reproof. Except God regenerates the heart all the way until death. Maybe not wanting to hear that word. Eventually someone leaves the church, stops coming to church altogether, or maybe they go find a a church where there's little to no accountability, where elders are elders in name only and 
The word that comes off the pulpit hardly says anything about sin. And if it talks about the law of God at all, it's, it's just, well, that's not quite God's best for you. These things don't just happen. There's a running away. That's what that is. A running away from the word and attempting to shut that word up under lock and key so that it can't speak to me anymore to put that word of reproof in prison. Maybe the person just starts to do things like this. They get the bulletin on Saturday You look at the text, you look at the theme and the three points and think, I don't want to hear this. And it comes too close. And so you know, I, I'm not really feeling so good and you stay home. You shut that word up. But you can't do that forever. And so sometimes come and under that preaching of the word, simply shut it out of the mind or ignore it or think about something else or maybe I can take a quick nap here. But I have to keep up appearances. I'm a, I'm a religious person after all. I'm supposed to be a, a churchgoer. We read in Matthew's account that the reason why Herod did not kill John right there when he wanted to is because he feared the multitude, Matthew 14 verse 5. Of course he did. He was a Jewish king. If he would have killed John, everybody would have been against him. The people would have rejected him. Sometimes this happens. I have friends here. I have a nice life here. I can't mess this up, so I'll just go and, and find ways to ignore it or to shut it out of my mind. And I just have to do it for a while, and then I can get to Monday, and I can be busy. I don't have to think about it again for a while. Our beloved, it's not only the unregenerate in the sphere of the covenant, is it? The regenerated children of God can do this too for a time. Are tempted to this. And can fall to this temptation. When the word of God exposes me, turns the lamp upon me, and the heat is upon me to shut it up. Get it away. Put it in prison. I don't want it to speak. You may be convicted for that, by that word for a time. Do everything in the power to, to shut that conviction down and to make it seem like it's not so bad in one's own mind. And maybe under the preaching of the word, similar things. I just have to, just have to get through this hour and a half and then I can go back to Monday through Saturday and distract myself and I don't have to think about it again yeah, it's uncomfortable, but probably the minister won't preach about it for at least another six months, and I won't have to deal with this anymore, and I could just go back to life the way that it was and be done with this after an hour. Just, just get through it. Or how many of us at times in our lives in order to shut up the word of rebuke and reproof, make ourselves so busy and so distracted and work an inordinate amount of hours and no time where it's just me and God because that's too freaky. 
It was shutting up the word of reproof. And how many times we tell ourselves lies and believe our own lies so that we can put that word of reproof away in prison behind lock and key. It's no different than Herod taking John and shutting him up behind bars. And when we do, beloved, it is the sin above all. Herod added this, above all, that he shut up John in prison. Above all. Above all the other things that he had done and that John rebuked him for. This was the worst. This was worse than his divorcing and his remarrying. This was worse than whatever other evils John pointed out that he shut up the word of rebuke that confronted him for two reasons. This is the sin above all. First of all, because Herod was locking up, the only means that can rescue the soul from its own folly and lies. And of course, beloved, from a divine perspective, this, this word of John the Baptist was not intended to bring Herod to repentance and faith before Jehovah God. There was no grace in it for Herod. But from an objective point of view, looking at it, what Herod was doing, he was taking the word, the only thing that humbly received with brokenness of heart would lead him to the Lamb of God. To shut up that word is to shut up the very means of rescue from the sins that entangle our soul. To shut up that word, I suppose you could say, it's like putting the firemen in prison while your house is on fire. It's like putting the doctor behind bars while you're dying from disease. It's like imprisoning the policeman while you are in the process of being kidnapped. This is the greater sin. It reveals a, a hardness of heart that says, not only have I done this, but, but I don't want any rescue from it. I want to hold on to it. And to say that when the means of rescue is right in front of you. Second, and ultimately, this is the sin above all. Because, beloved, the sin of shutting up the word, of locking up the word of reproof in prison, is an attempt to shut up God. And to lock up God in prison. Is to say to him, Oh, I know who you are, oh God. You're, you're, you're the great God, the majestic God of heaven and earth. The omnipotent one. You're good and you're wise. You're glorious. You're the only adorable God. This is the God who, who sent his son out of astounding mercy to die for the sins of his people. 
and all of that is all well and good about you, God. But you know, God, there's one problem with you at the end of the day, and it's a serious problem. You try to tell me what to do. You tell me to obey you. And for that, I find you guilty in my court of the worst crime imaginable. You dare to tell me that I may not run my life as I please, that I may not do as I wish. For that, beloved, the nature rises up and says to him, it doesn't matter who you are and all those wonderful things about you. In my eyes, you commit the worst crime imaginable. As we slam the gavel and say, away with you, to prison with you, how dare you tell me the way that I must live? How dare you you tell me what I must think, what I must say, and what I must do? For that I shut you up. Away with you. To prison with you. And yet, beloved, praise be to God, the child of God can never keep him locked up. The child of God can never keep his word behind bars. And it is the very word in the hands of a sovereign God that will not be bound, that eventually breaks the hard heart and brings his people to repentance. Rescues them as it did with David. David shut up the word For how long? Over a year. He shut it up in his mind in a hundred different ways until God came to him again with that word and broke him with the word of rebuke from Nathan the prophet. And at that point in David's life, then what a contrast we have between David and this Herod. Similar situations. David is a king. Herod is a king. The prophet has come to rebuke in Nathan. And the prophet has come to rebuke in John the Baptist. David's sins were worse, you might say. He had Uriah killed, didn't he? Herod didn't have Philip killed. But when Nathan came, he turned the spotlight on David. And the heat upon David. Thou art the man, David. The sovereign grace of God broke him. Humbled him. Do you ever think about the fact that David could have done at that moment the same thing that Herod did? He could have taken Nathan and put him to prison. Shut up that word. Put it under lock and key. Don't want to hear it. David had a lot to lose. 
He had his reputation as king in Israel. And maybe if he would have locked up Nathan in prison, maybe he could have still kept some of this private. Maybe it would have never gotten out. But if, if Nathan says this, and, and it's now going to come out, and if I repent and, and confess, it's going to come out, and it's going to be public before all Israel. And I'm the king of Israel, and I'm supposed to be the great office bearer of Israel, the leader of God's flock. He was broken. He was humbled. I am the man. All of this I have done. And I don't care who knows. I'm sorry. Utterly broken. By grace, beloved, by grace. No one breaks in their own strength. God breaks hearts. By grace and the power of the Holy Spirit, the word broke through to David. He received that word. Every single one of God's own, it will do that eventually. God will not allow his own to be hardened beyond the point of no return. He will always break through the hardness. Is not my word a hammer, saith the Lord, and a fire? Hasn't it been one for you in your life, beloved? Isn't it still? So here we are. in this worship service. There is this collision. Between John and the Herod of the old man of sin. You feel it? The word of reproof and my nature that loves its sins wants to run away from any conviction of it. A spotlight and a lamp and a heat. What is your Herodias? What is your Herodias? What's mine? What are your Herodias's or mine? A Herodias is something that I know is wrong, but that I love. And because I love it, I am tempted to put the word of reproof about it in prison in order to hang on to it in my life. Maybe it's obvious. Maybe a double life that someone is leading. A good show for people on the external, but in the inside, underneath. A giving over to sin, hidden from view. Maybe it's an addiction. An addiction of sensual lust. An addiction to a substance. An addiction to a screen. An addiction to a feeling. But whatever it is, it bids me come to it and I come as a willing slave. 
Maybe it's less obvious. Maybe it's pride that we've allowed to run free in our life. And that's why you keep inserting yourself into every conversation, even when it isn't about you. And why you just can't carry on in some event without making sure everybody recognizes something that you have done. The pride that wants to hurt another. Because after all, they hurt you. And you can't forgive. You keep telling yourself, but it's justice, it's justice, but it's, it's pride and you don't want to forgive. Maybe we've given ourselves over to gossip and the love of the feeling of being in the know and people have to come to me to get knowledge and information. Maybe it's the love of money. Well, the scriptures, they don't say that money is the root of all evil. It's the love of money. Yes, you're right. It's the love of money. Well, I don't love it. I don't love it in the stuff that comes with it. All right. Give it a look. Is there a battle in you and in me when it comes to writing the check for collection or for the drive or whatever it is? Maybe there's laxity of entertainment in the content and in the time spent with it. Oh, I'm, I'm careful. Of course I'm careful. Well, take a look. Is there a reason why all those books on your shelves are in pristine condition, but that, that remote control, all the little white numbers and letters on it are, are all rubbed off? Or something else? Or whatever it is. John and Herod collide. And under the conviction of sin, there's the temptation lock up that word of reproof in one way or another to shut it up, to get it quickly out of my mind and to not let it dwell with me and speak to me and say what it has to say to me and to confess my sin and to say this is what it is this is all of it in every way in every corner, I want all of it out out and laid before the foot of the cross as David received that word Humble yourself, confess your sin. His God, he's God, his way is right, his way is good, and it will be good. Confess it. Harden not your hearts as in the provocation, the day of temptation in the wilderness. And come bring all of it. From every nook and cranny of your mind and heart and soul. Lay it before the Christ and the Savior. Say, take it. Oh, Jesus, take it. For forgiveness and for strength in the battle. Because you see, beloved,
every word of reproof is a forerunner to the Messiah. John preached the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. And even in our text, in verse 18, and many other things in his exhortation, preached he unto the people, except in the Greek it's more specific, and many other things in his exhortation, preached he good news unto the people, because the word of exhortation was to drive the people to the Christ, the Lamb of God who came to take away sins. May that word drive us to this Christ, to the gospel of him in confession and repentance and turning away and giving it to him. He might say, I forgive you, my child, I forgive you, and I unite you to myself more and more so that my life fills you and your love for the sin is weakened. Let go of it and come to me, forgiven and strengthened by me. You won't love it like you loved it before, but I'll be more glorious to you than anything else in all the world. Show myself, Savior of sinners. And you'll say, I love thee, my Savior. Who breaks through my hardness of heart, my rebellion and redeems me, brings me humbled and broken to himself. And you are more wonderful to me than anything in all the world. May that Christ be yours tonight, beloved. Every night. Amen. Father, bless thy word to our hearing that we might confess our sins and repent from them and bring them to the foot of the cross and there to find forgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen.